I can see there is a big family needing to serve the community. So I ask that you bless each one of us. You send her the power of the Holy Spirit. You empower us so we can make the difference wherever we go, wherever we are. It is through Jesus Christ, our Savior and precious Redeemer, that we pray. Amen. Amen. And as, as I said, I had the impression for, from everything I heard that Plymouth is a, is a big family. Which is which is very nice for us. Having said that, we don't know anybody here. It's good to to be welcomed uh, by such a nice family, and I, I'm really glad that the first impression I had was confirmed. But at the same time, it's not nice when you have an impression or you think you are right, and then you realize you are wrong. It's, it's not nice. Being totally sure that you are right, but then you come to terms and you realize that you are wrong. That just reminds me of a story of somebody who thought she was completely right, and then she realizes, or the person realizes, that he was wrong. It's the story of, of this lady that traveled to, to Switzerland. She wanted to buy one of those cabins. You know those cabins where you can live in peace. There is, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Those cabins where you have just a few neighbors. There's no shop. There's nothing around. Um, so she wanted to have peace in her retirement. So then she travels to Switzerland to buy one of those cabins. And then she liked, she loved the cabin actually. And the guy who shows the cabins around tells her, this is, this is so peaceful. If you want peace in your retirement, you have to get one of those cabins. So then she flies back home, which was London, central London. And then she says, hey, doctor, perfect place, doctor, place, I want to leave in my retirement. And then she realizes that there was no WC, there was no toilet around. And then she sends an email to the guy that actually showed her the cabin. And then she sends a message to him saying, hey, I like everything, and I just want to confirm that I'm, I'm going to take that cabin. And then uh, I've got a question for you. I could not see any WC around. You know, WC is a word that not everybody knows what that means, okay? So then the guy receives the message, and he thinks, oh, WC, what does WC mean? So then he goes to the local priest. He goes to the local pastor, asking, what WC means? What WC means? And you know, you think, some people think that pastors, priests, know everything. It's not like that. Sometimes, you know, you don't know something, so you have to Google. But then, um, the local priest, pretending he knew everything, he says, oh, it's fine. WC means Wayside Chapel. WC means Wayside Chapel. Then, the guy goes back to his computer, and he types the reply, and he says, to the lady, hello, I've got very good news for you, 
about the nearest dot we see. So her question was, what's the nearest dot we see? And then, that's, that's interesting because his heart tightened. You know what? The nearest dot we see is not very far. It's less than two miles away. <laughs> and then he continues typing the message, replying to the question, what's the nearest dot we see? And then he says, you know what? The nearest dot we see is very, very nice. It seats 54 people. <laughs> And the nearest stop you see is open every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. And you know what? The nearest stop you see is so nice that some people go there for lunch every single day. And the nearest stop you see is so cool on Thursday. You know what? There is an organ there on Thursday. And the most interesting part about, about that WC is that the acoustic is just amazing. Every delicate sound can be heard anywhere in that WC. And you know one thing, my wife is, is really, really sad. She used to go every week, but now she hasn't been there for two years now. So she, she is very, very sad. You know what? Um, because you are, you are a special person for us, a special client, I'm going to reserve the best seat for you in that WC. A seat where everyone can see you, and you can see everyone. That's the nearest WC. You know, it's, it's, it's sad when you, you think you are right, and then you realize that you are wrong. But the, the worst thing is, is the feeling of, I'm completely sure I am right, and then you realize that you are wrong. Has that happened to you before? Not about the WC, no. I mean, has that happened to you before? <clears throat> It happened to somebody in the Bible, actually. If you go to Acts chapter 22, would you turn your Bibles to, to Acts chapter 22? So that's Paul, okay? Paul, for a very, very long time, so he was completely right. And suddenly, on the way to Damascus, according to what the Bible says, he is told by Jesus Christ, that he was wrong. And according to what the Bible says, that's actually a description of Paul from verse 4. Acts chapter 22, verse 4 says, I persecuted this way to the death, finding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness. And all the conscience of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren. And I went to Damascus to bring in chains. What was his intention in going to Damascus? To bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Verse 6. Now it happened us. I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. 
Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. Verse 7. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, So, so, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. Verse 10. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. So we talk there in verse 10. But the thing is that Paul is not a condemner anymore because of a special mission that he had, because of the fact that he met somebody very, very special. He is not a condemner anymore, but he is now a justifier. And if you have a look at some of the facts about Paul, so Paul in Acts chapter 7 verse 58, for those who are not very familiar with Paul, Paul in Acts chapter 7 verse 58 supported the spawning of Stephen. Paul in Acts chapter 8 verse 3, he persecuted the church. Paul in Acts chapter 9 verse 1, he threatened to kill the disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 9, verse 2, organized a raid against Christians in Damascus. But what, what about Paul now? Paul, after that special meeting with Jesus Christ himself, according to Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, is a just Christian, is a just person. Paul, according to 2 Thessalonians, verse 3, chapter 3, Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, is a hard worker. Paul, according to 1 Timothy 1, 16, after that special meeting, is a concrete Christian, is a tough Christian, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is humble. So you see the person that used to condemn, that used to persecute Christians, is now after that special meeting with Jesus Christ, a justifier, one of those that will tell them that Jesus Christ was born on the cross, was born, lived, and died on the cross, so that they can have salvation as well. And as we go through the Bible, we see so many people that thought they were completely right when in fact they were wrong. When you think of Jonah, wrong direction. When you think of Moses, refusing to preach because he was not that a great speaker. When you think of the prodigal son asking for his inheritance. When you think of Abraham taking another woman as his wife. And then if the, you, you could think, oh, but you don't know my past. You don't know my past. You know, just, just think of these people. 
Just think of them. How could you say you don't know my past? The thing is that no matter what you have done, that's that's the great news. We could finish uh, uh, Elder Gregory. We, we could finish now because the good news is no matter where, where you have been, no matter what you have done, God still loves you. And that's great news, isn't it? That's great news. So whenever the question, oh, you don't know my past, crosses your mind, just bear in mind that Jesus Christ justifies you. And he guaranteed salvation to you on the cross. And then, turn your Bible to John chapter 16, verse 33. In John chapter 16, verse 33, we see, actually we see Jesus Christ telling the disciples, or teaching the disciples, how to deal with suffering. Jesus Christ is giving them a lesson. And the lesson in, in verse 33 of John chapter 16 is, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Okay, in me you may have peace. Jesus Christ places himself there, in one side of the story, saying that whoever is in him has peace. And then we see Jesus Christ talking to the disciples and saying, and he says, what in the word? And then he places our tribulations, our challenges, our frustrations on the other side of the story. But in the word, he says, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. So it means that Jesus Christ is actually telling them, problem doesn't mean it's around. And Paul becoming blind just proves that. It proves that not every good comes from God. And that not every bad comes from Satan. That's a very complex concept which we can take years, decades to understand that not every good comes from God and that not every bad comes from Satan. So, the question then is how to make things right with God. And then if you go with me to, to Galatians, that's one of the first and most amazing, amazing principles in terms of how to make things right with God. In Galatians chapter 6, we see the answer to the question, how to make things right with God. And the answer there is simply, making things right starts with our relationships. So if someone falls, restore them. That's what Paul is trying to say there. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. Let me turn to Galatians chapter 6, 1 to 5, where Paul is actually talking about restoring, restoring those through the church. Galatians chapter 6, verse 5, where Paul is actually telling the disciples, you know what, through me, you can actually 
restore those that come in contact with you. Let me find a version that I'm looking for. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, <coughs> who raised him before who raised him from the dead, and all of the brethren which are with me unto the churches, pardon, chapter 6. Chapter 6 is the right one. Brethren, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. If a man be overtaken in fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted bear with one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think of himself to be something where he is nothing, he deceives himself. So actually, Paul is saying that the job, the main responsibility that we as church, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, have is restoring those who are desperate to be restored. So we see the concept now of not everything good comes from God and not everything bad comes from Satan. We explain a bit further because we see Paul, we see Paul becoming blind so that he could see his own condition before Jesus Christ. We see you see, you see the concept now of not everything bad comes from Satan. We see God Himself, God Himself bringing into life, into Paul's life, blindness, so he could see his own condition. When you go to Acts chapter twenty-two, the same chapter about Paul, verse seven, you see Paul being asked the question. Why are you persecuting me when in fact Paul thought that he was persecuting who? The Christians. But according to the Bible, we see God Himself through Jesus Christ asking Paul, Why are you persecuting me? So I dream, I dream of a church, I dream of a church who judges less and loves more. A dream of a church who criticizes less and accepts more. So that's actually what God is trying to tell Paul in Acts chapter 22. He's actually saying that Paul has to fix his relationships before anything else can, do, can be done through him. And then we see that if you turn your Bible to Luke chapter 18, in Luke chapter 18, we see two men. In Luke chapter 18, we see two people there. One is, is, is a sinner praying, have mercy. And then we see the Pharisees praying, Thank God I'm not like that man. 
we look chapter 8, 18, from verse 9, we read, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted, who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed, thus with himself, God, I came here that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as the tax collector. I fast, I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as weighing his eyes to heaven, but be his breath, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We'll soon come to that parable in Luke chapter 18. But before that, we'll be turn to 1 Corinthians, and then we may have something interesting there. Before the 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. In the same context, we see now that Paul himself is giving the recipe for those who are to place themselves among the sinners of Luke chapter 18. The sinners who are desperately looking, who are desperately looking for a solution coming from Jesus Christ. In, in 2 Corinthians, Chapter 3, verse 18, we see actually Paul describing what's the process that he's going through. We see in Luke chapter 3, verse 18, Paul saying, But we all, with undue faith, beholding us in a mind and in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, you know, if you, if you were to ask what's my favorite Bible verse, that's my favorite Bible verse because it talks about you and me. Why? Because it mentions there from glory to glory. What does glory to glory mean? It means that once I'm, I'm, I'm justified, once I'm, I'm okay with Jesus Christ, that's enough. No, because the glory to glory that Paul is talking about doesn't stop there. We are transformed, and that's Paul. We see Paul going through that progress, that, through that progressive transformation. From glory to glory, and then from glory to glory, and then from glory to glory. It means it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. So spiritual transformation 
The spiritual transformation is a progressive transformation. So when I compare myself to what I was a week ago, I have to find myself in a better condition than a week ago or a month ago. So Paul himself talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Paul is actually dealing with his struggles, which are amazing lessons for us. Paul says that I want to decide, I want to decide in the midst of an argument moved by the flesh. But my spiritual side is saying, no, decide that according to the spirit. So that's Paul talking about that transformation which we are to go through. And then we go back to Luke chapter 18, because here is the essential contrast. One man makes a claim to righteousness based on his own accomplishments, while the other relies entirely upon the Lord's benevolence, rather than the grateful for Rather than, rather than be grateful for his blessings. Okay? In this, in his mind actually, there are two kinds of people. The righteous, the moral. And he is grateful that he placed himself against among the righteous, the tax collector, on the other hand, isn't so much humble as desperate. He's too overwhelmed by his plot to keep high, to divide humanity into sides. All he recognizes as he stands near the temple is his, his own great need. He therefore states his hopes and claims not on anything, not on anything at all he has done or deserves, but entirely on the mercies of God. And that's the challenge for each one of us today. So I pray that you and me Allow the transformation through the Holy Spirit from glory to glory and from glory to glory and from glory to glory. That's the refining job of the Holy Spirit. And I pray also that as church we love more and judge less. We accept more and criticize less. And I pray that each and every single individual which cross our paths, that enters those doors, can see that we are welcoming, that we hug people without knowing them, that we welcome every single individual. And my third prayer today is that we become blind spiritually blind so then we can see our own condition and we can recognize who we were and what we can be 
when Jesus Christ is in control. Those are my prayers as I close the message for today. May God bless each one of you. May God bless us as we go from glory to glory through the transformation of the Holy Spirit.